welcome to our very special edition of Turak Chat today. I am Christy Kendall, Principal of Turak College, and I am joined by... Hannah Shippen, media student, and we are so, so lucky and very grateful to be joined by our amazing guest, Natalie Porter. Wonderful. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for giving up your time to be part of our amazing personal growth podcast. And you have a bit of a special connection with our school, don't you? I sure do. Yes. What uh, brings you to Turak? Beautiful little daughter in grade five, <laughs> Olivia. So she started here last year. So yeah, we've got that special connection with the school. It is wonderful. Now, Natalie Porter, apart from a special connection with the school, you have a remarkable story and journey, uh, not just in the sporting arena and representing your country, our country, um, but also in business. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the journey that's brought you here today? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm very young at 38 years of age, <laughs> but my career started back when I was five, a little five-year-old when I first picked up a basketball uh, and played for my local club at Water Park Saints. And from there, it's sort of it's gone so fast. <laughs> I wish I was five again. Yeah, simple and innocent and just, you know, adoring the sport. And that's exactly what it was to begin with. It was never a job when I first played basketball as a kid. It was just good old fun and competitive streak flowed through and I had a bit of talent. And from there, I just followed the pathway of Australian basketball and got to the pinnacle, which was playing for Australia at the Olympic Games. So. And what happened in that competition? We won a silver medal. We lost, but we got second. It was very, very surreal. It was weird because usually when you play in a grand final at a tournament or whatever it is, first, you know, it gets all the glory and second gets nothing. Yes, yeah. But at the Olympic Games, you lose, you get second, but you get a silver medal. So it's kind of like, oh, that's still really cool. Yeah, I love the way you say, I won a silver medal. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, it wasn't like you lost out in the grand final. I won a that's silver right. medal. That's right. Yeah, so you, you won. It's, it's a really weird feeling because you're so upset, but then you're, oh, no, I get to stand up on the dais and I get a medal and I'm going to be a, like an Olympic medalist. Olympic like, that's so medalist. cool. That's right. But you lost. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love, I love the conundrum. I mean, I mean, that probably represents a lot of things in life. You didn't get this job you wanted, but this new one presented. And, Absolutely. you know, all of the little moments lead you kind of to where you're going. Yeah. And second place, well, that's okay. That's, you know, that's, that's okay. still top 20 in the world in terms of athletes in 2004. So that's still pretty cool. It's still yeah, pretty we'll cool. Yeah, we'll still give that one a tick. <laughs> <laughs> Why was it a basketball that fell into your hand at five years old? Yeah, it's a good question. I think if AFLW was around, I probably would have taken uh, a footy, mm. unfortunately, because I played both. So I obviously I did a lot of things. I did cross country, I did AFL, did athletics, basketball. Um, it was uh, a neighbour, one of the kids up the street, they played at the local club and said, come along and try out. We didn't. It wasn't really big throughout our school at that point in time. They yeah. didn't have the hoops programs that they do now. Um, so I played footy mainly at school and then finished at grade six because girls can't play with boys, you no. know, that sort of stuff. No. But uh, I like to break barriers. So well, for basketball anyway, my mum and dad were very supportive of me playing in the boys competition. Yeah. And obviously the boys weren't so happy with that, but that's okay. The club supported it and I did that and that was really good for my own personal development. What, what, what was that like like that was really changing a huge culture how did your parents decide that they wanted everything for you how did you decide yeah I, I deserve this too what, what yeah happened? I think probably just white line feet but I don't know I just <laughs> I was kind of arrogant I thought I could beat the boys so I'll never forget the very first game because I always took the jump ball because I was I mean, I'm tall now, but I wasn't super tall, but I had a bit of height on me. And I walked out to that first jump ball and all the boys were just ogling me, like, you know, giving a few off smarty comments there. And I won the jump ball. I just wanted to turn around to them and all go, like, Bleh. A metaphor for yeah, 
exactly. Like, really? Come on, boys. Bring it. (laughs) That was it. It it worked well. It worked really well. So then a couple of my other teammates, because by then I was playing rep basketball. Mm -hmm. um, And so a couple of my other teammates then joined the competition. And then that was it. Girls got to play in the boys comp up until I think under 14s, which was awesome. And you don't see that now, unfortunately. Do you think that's a show? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I mean, I, obviously, I coach Olivia's rep team, the under-12 mm. ones at Frankston Blues, and I wish, I, I feel like we should be training with the boys. Yeah. I, I really do. It's it's great for them. The mm. boys are so athletic, but the girls are so intelligent. Mm. So that's, they really can learn off one another. But Yeah, it, it, anyway. it's really interesting. It, it's a little bit, um, I always talk about, um, you know, we talk about gender a lot at the school being, you know, an all-girls secondary school and that we're really out with what we do to challenge the world we live in and make sure that our girls are equipped for whatever comes yes. but that's not about being only girl anything it's, no. it's about equipping them with everything they need to embrace any environment so um, I, I think that's kind of a, a lovely example of how you can use all of the things that we have to, to kind of get the best out of our athletes as well yeah absolutely absolutely and you can learn from both sexes so mm. you know and you're going to have to navigate that your entire life so why not we do that in the sporting yeah. arena. And I mean, even as a professional athlete, we would always go and train. Like when I was playing in Townsville, we would train with the Cowboys, which was the NRL team. And obviously we wouldn't be taking each other on in a wrestling match, but, yeah. you know, we'd work out together and it's it's awesome. It's, yeah. It builds that camaraderie between the two different clubs, but you can learn off one another. As yeah. I said, the women have the smarts and the guys <laughs> have the beef, yep. but it's good. You can really take different parts. That. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Did, it, did everyone sit there and say you need to get a real job? Uh, you know, <laughs> how was that progression into professional, um, being a professional athlete? Yeah, I was probably pretty young. I, th- I would say probably primary school was when I had that aspiration, like that real goal to play for Australia. That, that I think I was probably, it was very young. And I, I don't know why, but it was just a mindset. Again, it was not arrogant, but it was just confidence. Yeah, confidence and the fact that I liked to compete. Mm. I was Mm. happy to compete. And I didn't really care what anyone else sort of said about it. And so from there, I thought, well, I'm actually quite good athletically. So why not play for Australia? That that seems like a cool thing to do. And so then in high school, I think I was in grade 10, year 10. I went to Wesley College and I was in year 10. And The Age used to have this uh, week, The Weekender, I think it was called, a Weekender magazine. And that was the first interview that I had to do. And so I was, I was 14 going on 15, moving to the AIS. And I remember, <laughs> so I did this, it was about upcoming athletes that could make the Sydney 2000 Olympics. So obviously I was like, oh yeah, well, Ooh, wow. that's, that's cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's something like to that. really aspire to. But I remember this one line because I said in there, I love playing against the boys again at school, you know, at lunchtime. And I said something about, oh, the girls, the girls are just too soft. <laughs> well, they're just not strong enough at school. And they printed it. Oh, well, I rocked up to school that next morning. How's this oh, for yeah, soft? That wasn't like, very good. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very good. So that's probably when I was like, oh, should I really do this as a job? Or should I look the other way? But um, yeah, no, probably throughout, definitely throughout school and then. Through, with basketball, it's very, very um, like step, step, like going up a ladder. So you know exactly where you have to go if you want to make an Australian team. And the AIS was the first part of that. So, yeah. Well, um, talking about school, studies show that 50% of girls will give up their sport when they hit year 12. What's your take on this? Because you managed to juggle school and your sport. And I know yep. being myself, I do my own sport and it's it's really difficult. So, And I understand why people would feel the need to drop out. Yeah. It's a really good question. I've got a daughter in year 12 right now as well. She plays footy and basketball and year 12. <laughs> and uh, we're all for it because it's a great release. 
You know, when I was in year 12, I was lucky enough that I was playing professionally as well at that time. So the yeah. school really worked with me and my commitments. But um, I think when you are an elite athlete or you're in an elite profession, you, you have the mindset to take on everything that's required and you're really good at sacrificing. So year 12 parties were not anything that ever entered my radar. I think I went to my best friends and that's it yeah. Yeah. aside from that. So I think um, if we're talking about elite athletes, they can definitely cope with whatever's thrown at them. You know, you give a busy person a task to do and they'll get it done. Whereas other kids that just play sport for an amateur or just for enjoyment, I also think that they need to have that whilst they're studying because it's such a, a huge endorphin release and they get to be around their mates. And if you just got head in, your, head in the books the whole time, well, you're going to lose vision, you're going to lose clarity. You need to get out there and get some fresh air and what better way than doing it with sport? So. Yeah. yeah. Sport over parties. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the title of this podcast. <laughs> Oh, that's our mantra in our house. Sport over parties, Madeline. <laughs> no, I agree because like, yeah. you have to learn to like sacrifice some. Because I know for myself, um, yeah. when I'm even juggling schoolwork, I, I'll sometimes have to say like, oh, if I want to go to this competition or if it was basketball, if I want to go to this game, you, sometimes you need to travel so far and you compensate and you have to take your school with you. And Absolutely. Yeah. And you know the one thing about me that I was really lucky with? There was no social media. <laughs> that didn't cloud my vision at all. You know, with professional athletes, they've got so much pressure with what they write on social media mm. and being judged for their careers based on what they say. Is yes. it athletes and people in the spotlight's responsibility to be mindful of that? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, just watching the, the US women's um, soccer team and everything mm. that's come out about that, I, I, I even posted it as a status, like I can't believe the amount of hatred that's out there in the world. And, you know, they are as an elite athlete, you are given a platform to deliver mes- messages. And the messages that they were delivering were all about positivity. Yeah. You know, be a better person, believe in yourself, do something for others. You know, all those things that, like in the church, they preach. And as athletes, you preach as well. Just look after each other, have each other's backs. So, um, yes, I do. I do think that there's some that definitely don't use a platform in the way that they should. They only use it selfishly. But that's that's the world. <laughs> you know, you've got the good and you've got the bad and you're going to get a mixture of both. So it sort of only came in towards the end of my career where we really did a lot of public relation type training about what you should say, what you shouldn't say. Don't comment on after a loss. Don't comment on players. Don't comment on this. Don't bring this into disrepute, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of red tape to get around. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good and it's bad. You know, mm. it's, it's great that they have such a, a community and a tribe that follows them. But you know, there's a fine line between... Mm. what's enough and what's probably you know, and too what little. And what would you have done when you had your first interview, when yep. you were like 14, 15, how would it have changed everything for you? Yeah, if social media yeah, was around them? Was around. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, isn't it? It's hard to say because, yeah. you know, as I say to the year 12, that is addicted to her phone. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have done that if I was your age. <laughs> <expert. laughs> Who knows? And yeah, it's a, a really tough question to, 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 to answer. And obviously the world's evolving and mm. technology is such a huge part and that's fantastic. But um, I'd like to say that I always kept myself nice mm, yeah. <laughs> whenever I was speaking to the media and I never, you know, bad-mouthed or belittled a competitor and that's the same with business. Mm. Like, there's no, don't put your competitors down. You need competitors to increase market share and, yeah, I'd like to say I kept myself nice. That's my mum used to always say, just keep yourself nice, Natalie. <laughs> that's right. Now, maybe not everyone was always so nice to you, though. Did yep. you have to deal with a lot of public criticism? Um, you probably were used to a bit of sledging on the court. <laughs> um, how, how do you deal with, with that being in the spotlight? Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Um, they had lots of forums where people would, you know, comment and say not not nice things about you. And um, especially in Adelaide, they seemed to have a thing with Adelaide. Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide. Oh. the Adelaide media didn't like me because oh. I was pretty rough and 
rough and ready when I played. So <laughs> I really like to try and uh, put an article out the day of the game to Ooh, try and get in my head. But um, jump off the plane, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was inter- that was that was interesting. But it also gives you that bit more fire in the belly, mm. and um, it's a, again, it's it's a mindset, and it comes with maturity. And I think you know most of my playing was up in my late teens and early 20s and then obviously that shifted late 20s I was starting to focus on business and what I'm going to do with my life because I didn't make enough money from basketball I'm not like Ben Simmons who just signed a 170 million dollar contract you didn't get one of those no unfortunately oh. no. I might be sipping cocktails somewhere in Barbados <laughs> now if I did. <laughs> my maturity levels were very different back then mm. so I probably it probably played on me mentally more than than what it does now because no we're all older and wiser and somebody wants to sledge you well whatever that's just that's good that means you're doing something right but my you know my mum my mum was certainly always susceptible to it you know she's a soft she's a softer person from out of my parents and so she would often say oh why you know why are people saying things like that about you mum and I said you know what mum I'm strong enough and if they're saying it about me it means they're leaving someone else alone that's not strong enough so that's how I looked at it. So I was like, oh, well, say whatever you like about me behind my back because I'm strong enough to take it. But, you know, for example, if, if you weren't and they were saying it about you, that's that's a bad situation. So yeah. I was like, mum, don't sweat it. It's all good. They're talking about me. Don't worry. I can hack it. I love that. I've actually never heard yeah. someone describe it in that way before. I think that's – I think everyone deals with it in different ways. But to think that you might be actually helping someone else by taking that. Yeah. Point, that's a very kind of noble view of it. I love that. Oh, oh thank you. Obviously, following your career, as you said, you're not sipping cocktails in Barbados (laughs) right now. How did the journey after sport go for you? What was it like personally to to feel that you needed to enter a new chapter? And what happened next? Yes, um, my transition was very easy. Definitely, I'm on the really, really, really other side of the spectrum because a lot of teammates have struggled. And it's, it's a really tough talking point because... The structure has never been there. It was never there through my generation. There was never a structure for transitioning athletes, which was always one real, you know, bee in my bonnet. Because why, why not? You know, these athletes are giving up their, basically their lives to dedicate themselves to your your program and what you want as a coach or as a um, an organisation and as a country. You need to set them up mm. for something afterwards. Mm. And I feel you know, there's great, like the best players, my idols that are out there doing really kind of shitty jobs and. You know, that's, 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 to me, that's sad. Like they were triple four-time Olympians that are just, you know, like just making the average wage. And I think that really sucks, really. So for me, I always enjoyed school. Like I always enjoyed schoolwork and I've always liked money. (laughs) So I worked. How can I make these work? (laughs) That's right. And my other like love in the world is Nike. So I got a job at Nike, like pretty much, I think the first day of my exams, I landed a job at Nike at the new head office at the new, they had this big real Nike town in Melbourne, city central. And so I got that job. So I finished year 12 and I went straight into a job at Nike. And then I worked as much as I could from that point on. And I studied as well. So I was lucky enough that when I played in Sydney um, during the early 2000s, uh, they were affiliated with Sydney University. So I got to do my grad cert in marketing and a master's in business. So I made sure I did that whilst I was playing as well. And so then it was just sort of a natural progression. I had always worked and juggled both. So, you know, some obviously critics out there saying, well, why didn't you give more of yourself to basketball? rather than this but I sort of sit back and now I go I'm really glad I did what I did so silver medal's all right too like yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I want to be a two-time Olympian and I want to make Beijing and I didn't I got cut there's I don't have regret but you know maybe a conundrum the there there's a bit of a balance had I done a little bit more on the basketball mm. side maybe I could have done that but then I go now no 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 I love what I'm doing now so anyway I was a good networker as I'm sure you can imagine yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like talking to sponsors 
And well, the sponsors are there. So I was like, oh, Let's we'll chat. make friends with all the sponsors. Mm-hmm. So after I missed out on Beijing, I went and played in Italy for a year and traveled a bit and then came back and became really good friends with some sponsors. And one happens to be a travel company. Um, and so they organized all the travel for Basketball Australia and for our local team as well. And uh, I didn't want to be a travel agent. That's not what I wanted to do. But I love traveling and I liked logistics and organization and things like that so he became a really good mentor to me and said oh why don't you just come out and learn what we do um, and then you can decide what you want to do for yourself and I was always kind of entrepreneurial I liked projects and I liked organizing people and things so I thought yeah I'm happy to try and do something for myself but I wasn't sure what that was being the right place at the right time I just happened to be out there this time and they had a customer that was organizing a trip to America for basketball and they were leaving in a month's time and they booked through a travel agent who couldn't organize any basketball games so they called them in the 11th hour and said do you have anybody there that can organize some basketball games and they're like uh, Nat. <laughs> and I was like, oh, let me just check my networking book <laughs> and see who I know in America. And so, yeah, so I organized the games for them pretty much just like that. And so then I was like, oh, okay, well, I went on tours when I was a kid too. Maybe I could start thinking about that. So I just called up some people I knew that were basketball coaches at schools and said, do you guys go on tours? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing tours now <laughs> with the back of the sponsor. So I went into a partnership with the company that I had done the mentoring with. And um, yeah, that was 2010. So almost 10 years ago, uh, which is incredible. So I still juggled. So I was juggling that. I, obviously, that wasn't enough to be a full-time business or anything. Yes, just a, yes. enough for me to do what I wanted to do. And then uh, I was coaching as well. And I was selling some sporting strapping tape on the side, yeah. <laughs> as you do. Yeah. And I was still playing. So then... 2012 I started traveling with the groups so I wanted to go over and I wanted to learn where they were and what they were doing and be there on the ground as some on-ground support that started to clash with the basketball and so I just said you know what now's the point in time where I need to make a decision either going to put all my eggs into what I'm trying to establish here or continue with basketball up until a certain point but I guess my passion had changed when I missed out on that Beijing team Mm. my focus had really shifted as I cast my mind back to the primary school kid that wanted to play for Australia, well, that's it. I did it and I got there and I achieved what I wanted to. And then I was like, oh, now I've got this new goal. I want to be like a really cool businesswoman. That's what I want to do. And I want to have a team of people that work for me. And now in 2019, I do. I've got 11 people on my team. So One of whom is your fabulous wife. Yes, one of whom is my fabulous wife, so the GM downstairs who runs work together yes. and live together. Is that a great idea, Nat? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yeah, no, it is. Now, it's been such a good news story. We'd love to hear about Beijing. How did that feel? What does yeah. it feel like to want something and have it? It was really horrible. I won back-to-back MVPs of the WMBL and I've made the All-Star 5 and I was I was killing it. But, well, you know, people don't sometimes, coaches, employees, staff, just there's a bit of something going on. Yep. So yep. when the team's picked, it's quite close to the Olympics. So the Olympics was in September. We found out in June, July. When I went to Athens, none of my family came because... It was a kind of a long shot for me to make the team and I made it. So they hadn't booked anything. So for Beijing. Everyone was coming. Everyone had bought tickets. Ooh. Everyone was coming. So we're all off oh. on that plane oh. to China. They even had their immunizations. <laughs> and I went to a camp. We had our last um, selection camp in Cairns, which was beautiful. But I went up to the coach after the camp and I said, what do you need me to go home and work on? And she said, nothing. And I went, <laughs> and so obviously I always say to the girls I coach you know if I'm getting up getting up here and I'm yelling at you and I'm you know really like trying to tell you what to do it's because I know you've got the potential and you, you know you can do it so when I heard that from the coach I was like uh-uh that's it I'm not I'm not making this team 
Mm. I was horrible because you still didn't know. You still, you know, you it's still can't read. She could hold her hope or whatever, holding her hope. But really, I hadn't felt very good throughout that sort of that phase. And I just, when she said that, I was like, oh god, oh I'm not making this team. Mm. I remember I was I was living up in the Central Coast in New South Wales. I was pulling onto the on ramp onto the freeway to go to practice, and she called me. Like she called me and she's like, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, you haven't made the team. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like really short. And, uh, and that was it. So then as I, I, I sort of, I, I, I knew, but the hardest part for me was not actually not making it. It was telling my family that they weren't going anymore. And like, it was super horrible. Cause then that next, like a few hours later, the team manager was on the phone. Like, can we have your tickets? Oh. I was like, dude, this is not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. where's your empathy? Yeah. But anyway, so that was, yeah, it was a really hard one. It was super, super hard. I usually rolled with the bumps pretty well, but I, I took a while to get it. I still get choked up when I'm yeah, talking yeah, about it. Yeah, you it's, see that. Yeah, yeah it's, um, yeah, I really wanted to be a, a, a two-time dual Olympian. I, I really did, and I really thought I deserved it. I tried my hardest, but, you know, that taught me things that, doesn't matter how good you think you're going and sometimes it doesn't matter how good you actually are either you know you can be doing everything right and it's just circumstances and people and everything else that's right exactly any regrets at how you prepared if you were at the top of your game but it was forces outside of your control exactly probably where i am now wouldn't have happened if i hadn't made the team you know it's like those that sliding doors effect i made that then i would have wanted to become a triple olympian and go to london and then would i have empire now no probably not you know so it all happens that's it all happens for For a reason reason. one of my favorite expressions it is Um, (laughs) you did mention about like the coaching aspect of it um how you talking about when you're coaching your teams you get up the players that you think have potential and I, yeah. I know that when I with my coach I went through this phase where I was like oh my god I can't take it she just yells at me for like a whole hour <laughs> I was doing it all wrong and then my mum was like oh well let's just talk to a sports psychologist about it Let, let's try and just organize it so then you can progress and the sports psychologist was saying she's doing it out of love because she sees that you can do better. Yes. And so that's kind of what you were saying. Well, absolutely. You know, you continually give feedback and, you know, constructive feedback and criticism to people that you believe have the potential to get to a certain level. And everybody has that in them if they're in the right situation. You get to your age and you haven't been pushed, you haven't been, you know, put your back up against the wall, that it's really hard for you to... Yeah, yeah. be exposed to that. Yeah, Yeah. and definitely in business because obviously we've had to hire Mm. different types of people and you can see the ones that have sort of, you know, had those challenges early on in their lives or early on in their careers and they've bounced back and they don't carry a chip on their shoulder. But And then it's very clear when you interview people that have come with a chip on their shoulder and I was micromanaged back in my last job and all that was... Uh, whoa up okay yeah hold up a second and so you can see that very clearly you know when you're sitting down and interviewing people what they bring and what they come past or if they're okay they go you know what that happened for a reason and now i'm looking ahead and and sort of going what what can i do now with my skill set it's now time to put the guest to the test we've got a quiz for her and she has to complete it in 60 seconds or less so we're about to play a game, and it's called Slam Dunk. <laughs> Puns intended. Um, so Natalie, they are about basketball. So US, Oz, men's, women's. Um, I will ask the questions. So Ooh, okay. and you're competitive, right? Okay, so yes. you'd really want to win this, yeah? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hit me with your best shot. What team won the first ever NBA game? Uh, Washington. What NBA player scored 100 points in 1962? Chamberlain. <laughs> Who was the first 
player in the NBA history to be elected league MVP by an unanimous vote? Pistol Pete. <laughs> Who was the first WNBA player to dunk in a playoff game? Lisa Leslie. Gary Kraft coached which WNBL team in 2006? Gary Kraft? Graf. Gary Graf. <laughs> Canberra Capitals. Not at, Gary. <laughs> at what Paralympic Games did the Rollers win the gold medal? Oh, 96. Which Australian player won three NBA championship rings? Bogut. Can I do a different answer? Luke Longley. Cargo rules. Lindsay and Andrew Gaze are closely associated with which Australian basketball? Melbourne Tigers. Which two teams had their debut in WNBL in 2007-8? Bendigo. Oh, I don't know who the other one was. Uh, Logan, Logan, Logan Thunder. Okay, last question. Who was the 39th inductee for the Basketball Victoria Wall of Fame? Me. Obviously, the point of this podcast is to share stories of personal growth with our girls, our parents, our community. What kind of final piece of advice do you have? Uh, Look, I think that the road is long, definitely. And you're going to come up with lots of challenges and bumps along the way, but you're also going to come up with lots of successes and fun times. So um, the most important thing for me in my life and how I guide myself through all all types of diversions is just to always stay focused, positive and fun-loving, really. And um, I think that's really important. Nothing is ever bad enough to, you know, go, well, that's it. I can't do this anymore. There's always people around you that love you and care for you. And make sure you surround yourself with a good tribe of people and they'll take care of you along the way. Thank you, Nat. You're welcome. Join us next week on Turak Chat where we interview former Olympic netballer and media presenter Bianca Chatfield.